This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Lots to get to on this podcast. You guys were at the Rookie Career Development Program last weekend. We're going to get into that a little bit, hear from some of the prospects that were there and and get your thoughts on, on what the program was all about this time around and who impressed you as far as the players go. We'll also get the executive's pick on who should be the number one prospect in baseball when the top 100 comes out later in the month, and we'll talk about that top 100 a little more as far as strengths and weaknesses. First, I want to get out the calendar so people know the top 10s are coming first, and they're coming soon. Tuesday, January 16th, top 10 right-handed pitchers. Then it'll be left-handed pitchers on the 17th, catchers on the 18th, first base 19th, second base the 22nd as we take the weekends off, the 23rd on is third baseman, shortstops on the 24th, outfielders the 25th, and then the top 100 list will go up on January 27th. That'll go along with the special on MLB Network where you guys will break it all down. So plenty of stuff coming up on that front. They are uh, underway full production-wise as far as videos go. So let's get into that top 100, just generally speaking, because we don't want to give anything away at this point before any of these lists are out. But strengths and weaknesses of this top 100 as you guys start to break it down. Jonathan, I'll start with you. What's a position that really stands out to you as far as prospects in these lists right now? Well, I mean, the easy, the easy choice is, is pitching, because uh, there's always a lot of pitching. But I, I'll actually say to me, the one that seems, uh, I think is surprising me most is not surprise me, is outfield. Um, there's always a good group of outfielders uh, uh, from top to bottom. But I feel like it's it's even better this year. Uh, it's even deeper this year. Uh, you know, I think the you know, the emergence of Ronald Acuna uh, and and you know and Victor Robles, uh, you know, who obviously is, I'm not giving any ways that they're near the top of lists. Um, you know, but uh, you know things like that. But all the way down and and even beyond the you know what the the, the top ten list will look like. I, I just I feel like there were a lot more outfielders this year. Uh, to choose from and to put on onto the top 100. Jim, is there another list to you or another grouping that, that stands out more than normal on this list? Um, I'd say more than normal. I'd say maybe third base. You know, I, I think it's not going to, again, reveal too much to say that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Nick Senzel are, are two of the ten best prospects in baseball. And then I think there's some depth behind that with guys like Miguel Andahar and Christian Arroyo and Michael Chavis and Austin Riley and Colton Welker and Ryan Mountcastle and on and on and on. I know it's like there's some years where it seems like, Jonathan, and I think you probably agree with this, where when we're filling out the top 10 third baseman list, because we do top 10s for each position, even if the top 100 itself does not fill them out, there's some years where we're kind of scraping trying to figure out what third baseman we're going to put on the end of the list. And I really felt like among the lists, that we had to fill out this year, third base was the easiest. We had plenty of candidates. 
we probably could have gone 15 deep with third baseman we liked if we had to. Yeah, no, I agree. I do agree with that. Uh, uh, just very quick on that. It, it's true. You know, even if uh, there always feel like I have to remind people that, you know, even if, say, the end of the top 10 third baseman list, they're not all top 100 guys, that doesn't mean that there aren't quality players at, at that position. And, and you're right. There, there was a stretch where it was tough finding legitimate third base prospects. And it, it does go, it, there's, even the non top 100 guys and the guys that aren't on the list. Are, are really interesting and are the kind of guys you want to keep track of and see if they take step forwards in, in 2018. How about on the other side of things, and Jim, you can go first on this, how about a weak position, maybe even a position that's normally a strength that, that just doesn't kind of live up to the normal billing as far as top 100 talent? You know, I don't know if there's any position that jumped out at me as un, unusually weak this year. Um, I know... We kind of kicked this around a little bit. I think Jonathan thought the shortstops weren't as strong as it's been, but I, I actually think that's because we've had these ridiculous shortstops coming up. And I still think the shortstop list, at least to me, looks pretty strong. You know, starting off with guys like Glaber Torres and Fernando Tatis and Brendan Rodgers and Bo Bichette and Royce Lewis. I mean, that's five pretty good shortstops right there, all of whom are going to rank in the upper fourth of our list. And, and there's more behind them as well. Um, I mean, you know, the weakest position I think most years – and it probably was the most difficult to fill out again this year, was probably second base. Um, I mean, there are some good ones out there. You know, we'll have at least three in the top 100, starting with Luis Urias. Um, but, I mean, I think a lot of our big league second basemen are former shortstops. There's some guys on our shortstop list right now who might wind up at second base. But, but I think second base is usually the, the weakest of the positions. You know, catchers... I thought the catchers were okay. I mean, that's usually not the deepest list, but I, I felt second base was was the weakest. I don't I don't know if Jonathan will second my thoughts on that one. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, I, you know, I think second base or first base um, was weak. First base, I feel, has been weak for a while. Um, I feel like every time like, when we're trying to um, help figure out who's going to be in the Futures game, finding first baseman sometimes can be tough. Um but uh, and I guess it's just the shortstops. You know, I think you're you're right, and, and you did tick off you know premium guys at the top, and, and they're all really good. And uh, maybe it was spoiled, you know, with uh, the run of young shortstops that have come through. I guess Ahmed Rosario was the last of the sort of upper echelon guys to graduate. And it, to me, the bottom part of the list didn't jump out at me as much as like in in other years. Um, where you know, I thought they were just like they could have gone on with an endless supply of you know top 100 caliber shortstops on the top 10 shortstop list. So that's I think that's kind of what that sort of uh, spoke to me a little bit when we were considering this. Interesting that you mentioned first baseman. The reason I say that is because last year's draft was actually strong for first baseman. So does that mean there's help on the way maybe for that position? Yeah, I think that's probably fair because I mean you have. Brennan McKay, Paven Smith, Nick Prado, and Evan White are are, are all on our list, um, and they haven't really had a chance to do a whole lot yet. Um, you know, and so you're you're right. That's a good observation, Tim. I mean, if those guys come out and and perform, you know, up to their draft status and, and are as good as we thought they were, uh, we may be looking at it a year from now, saying, "Boy, this first base list is pretty good." Because I think from the other direction, the only first baseman who who probably is going to graduate. Um, this year off that list would be Ryan McMahon. So the, so the rest of the guys will probably all return, and some of those guys should have higher profiles. 
All right. Well, last week we talked about the guys that were in the discussion for the top prospect overall. We talked about Shohei Otane, mm-hmm. Ronald Acuna, uh, Vlad Guerrero into that discussion as well. And Jim, you went out and, and asked a lot of executives around the league, scouts, executives. I think that was uh, the way um, you broke it down, not necessarily GMs, but people in front offices to get their takes. And the results are in. You have a story up on the site. Uh, and Otani, no surprise, was number one. But not by a landslide. Uh, Ten votes for Otani. Acuna came in with eight votes. And then that was really the big two. They ran away. After that, it was uh, single votes for a bunch of other guys, including Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But, uh, Jim, were you surprised at all by the results? Not, I guess, by Otani, but the fact that maybe it was as close as it was and it was really a two-player race. Yeah, you know, not surprised. I mean, we kind of knew going in, and I had to remind people, too, that he's eligible because some people consider him more of a a Japanese big leaguer, but he is rookie eligible. He meets our prospect definition. So I had a little, not grumbling, but a couple guys who said, well, if we're counting him, it's clearly Otani. But um, maybe a little surprised. I, I mean, as good as Otani is, I mean, there are questions. I mean, we, we've talked about it. I mean, there, there, he had a PRP injection in his elbow. Some people worry about that. You know, some people wonder about, you know, if trying to do both hitting and pitching is going to detract from both. Uh, you know, he does swing and miss a lot. So it's not like he's, uh, you know, without some red flags or, or it's probably nitpicking, but it's it's not like he's, you know, like if Otani struggles, it's not like everybody says, oh, I didn't see that coming at all. Um, you know, he's going to have to make some adjustments. Um, I think it just speaks to how highly Ronald Acuna is regarded. I mean, if we were just comparing these guys as hitters, which which isn't really fair to Otani because I think more guys like him more as a pitcher, but if you're just comparing them as position players, then I think Acuna is the better prospect. But I, I, I did think the two most interesting things about the overall prospect voting were the fact that Acuna made it as close as he did and that you mentioned, you know, four, you, we had 22 respondents. So Tony, Tony got eight votes. Uh, I'm sorry, Tony got 10 votes. Acuna got eight votes, and four other guys got a vote. You mentioned Vladimir Guerrero. Eloy Jimenez and Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, were kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I could see that. And I, but I thought the most interesting vote cast was for Forrest Whitley, who, um, you know, obviously is highly regarded. He's one of only five guys this decade to go in the first round out of high school and reach double-A the next year, and the other guys are all pretty good pitchers. You know, Kershaw, Greinke, uh, Dylan Bundy, who's come back from injury, and Cole Billingsley, who is an all-star. Um, so that, that's a pretty good group. But I, I would not have seen somebody necessarily voting for Forrest Whitley as the best prospect in all of baseball. I thought that was maybe the, the most interesting vote. See, I'm, I'm, I'm lobbying here. We could get obvious sponsorship tie-in if I, if I keep saying most interesting, most interesting, and maybe that will come true for us. <laughs> I, you know, one of the things that sort of spoke to me uh, uh, in, in that story, and I was a little envious because I've done that, you know, the, the the sort of executive polling story the last couple of years, so uh, it was hard for me to let go of. But um, with this sort of idea, because everyone talks about Otani, uh, you know, as the number one prospect because he can do two things incredibly well, and uh, you know, uh, he'll be highly rated on our right-handed pitchers list. He'll be highly rated on the outfielders list. We've never had that before, and it's almost hard to evaluate him. But um, I thought it was sort of interesting the idea that. His, the potential of him actually reaching his ceiling might be lessened because he's splitting his focus and his energies. Meaning, like if you're only pitching, 
he might reach his ceiling as the best pitching prospect in, in baseball and become the best you know starter in, in, in the big leagues. If he were just an outfielder, maybe he'd be one of the top few outfielders uh, in the big leagues. But because he's got it, because he's doing both, it's like the very thing that makes him such an exciting prospect. The 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 ability to play both ways uh, is something that could actually hurt him or not hurt him, but keep him from reaching you know the the ultimate ceiling either way and that you know and, and as much as i agree that people voted for acuna just because acuna is really really good i think that you know there was that that someone considered that i thought was really interesting yeah, yeah you know it, 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 it's like the philosophical question too would you rather have somebody who's good at both or great at one and and, and i i think and we've talked about this before too uh, we're not critical of the angel i mean i don't think you were signing otani unless you agreed to let him do both um so, like, it's not a case of are the Angels making a mistake. I, I don't think the, if the Angels were steadfast, hey, we only want you to pitch or we only want you to hit, then I don't think they land Otani. So I think they did this, what they had to do. I think the interesting discussion, and he we didn't factor into this, but, you know, the Rays are still open to kind of letting Brendan McKay find his way as both a hitter and a pitcher as well. And, you know, Personally, you know, did they have control over that one? I mean, he wasn't going to turn down a $7 million-plus bonus. I would, as an organization, decide what you think he's better at. I, I think it's as a hitter. I think uh, a lot of people would say pitcher. It's, it's probably close to a 50-50 split. But, you know, and that's a case where they do have a decision. It, it's hard enough to be good at either. I would let him focus on one. But it, So I'll be curious, to, like, like Jonathan said, I'm curious to see whether doing both like detracts from Otani's overall greatness. You know, and he's merely good at both, which would still be an extremely useful player. And I'm also very curious as to how long the Rays will let Brendan McKay attempt to do both. Maybe uh, as far as Otani goes, it depends on the team and needs, too. Maybe for some teams they need, they're better off having a guy that can pitch and be very good and hit and be very good to fill two spaces as opposed to having him great at one or the other. I mean, as far as val- I guess his greatness and his ceiling maybe doesn't get reached, but that doesn't necessarily mean he isn't maximizing his value to a certain team. Um, all great questions and certainly a good discussion and something that we'll be keeping our eye on. Uh, throughout the season. All right, one little uh, inbox question that Jonathan got this week that I wanted to touch on. Um, always good stuff from the people out there that, that weigh in to the inboxes. But somebody wanted to know, Jonathan, who is the 2018 version of Reese Hoskins? L- different ways to look at that. I think one of them is just a guy that wasn't a top prospect that became um, really one of the best prospects in an organization quickly throughout one season. Um, what was your approach to answering it, and who is your answer? Yeah, I kind of looked at it more of a guy, you know, not the top ten, who will jump more firmly on the prospect map in 2018 and not necessarily make a big league impact. Um, and I think you could look at it either way, but that's how I chose. And, and I went with Monty Harrison, uh, who we were all abuzz about because Jim and I both saw him in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, our colleague Mike Rosenbaum did as well. And the amazing thing is, you know, he was only a taxi squad player. So he was playing twice a week, but he was one of those guys that every time he was on the field, you could not take your eyes off him. You wanted to watch him take BP. Uh, you, you, you know, you wanted to see his at bats. You wanted to see him in the outfield. You wanted to see him throw. Uh, you know, add to the fact that he's just got a tremendous personality, which uh, has nothing to do with where we rank him, but makes you want to root for him a little bit more. You know, he was already coming off a really good season where he put some injuries behind him and some early struggles. 
uh, made it out of low A. Uh, you know, uh, this guy was drafted in 2014, so it took him a while to get going, uh, but finished 2020. Unbelievably toolsy, but he's really starting to figure it, figure it out. Uh, he was number 14 uh, on the current uh, Brewers list, and uh, without giving anything away, he is going to make, be making a large jump up uh, in in the preseason. Uh, so it, uh, I can't wait to see what he does for for an, an encore. That's for sure. Yeah, I share Jonathan's enthusiasm for uh, for Harrison. Um, yeah, this was a question. I, I did not put as much thought into this as Jonathan because he wrote the inbox. And uh, I learned that we would discuss this particular question right before we jumped on the podcast. Oh, but what a but no, I'm just saying. You've, you've, give your answer. You've given a more considered answer. Um, I'm going to approach this the same way you did. I'm not necessarily looking for a guy who's going to make a big league impact like Reese Hoskins, but is a guy who I think is going to really increase his prospect profile this year. And that's uh, Bruce Dark Greaterall uh, of the Twins, right-hand pitcher. He came back from Tommy John surgery last year. And, uh, you know, he, I don't do our Twins list. I think you do, Jonathan. And he sounds fascinating to me. I mean, he's upper 90s. He can touch 101. He's got a pair of, of, of power breaking balls. He, he's got some feel for a changeup. Um, he, he threw, you know, pretty decent amount of strikes for a guy his first year back from Tommy John surgery. Um, he, I want to say, I'm looking here, number 12 on our Twins list right now. If he comes out in full season ball and maintains that same kind of stuff, then he's a guy who could you know push for being on the top 100 prospect list. I mean, he's a guy that, that frankly, I didn't know much about at all before 2017. He wasn't a big ticket international guy, but I, I think now that he's healthy and puts a Tommy John further behind him, he's got the stuff to really to jump up prospect lists heading you know during the 2018 season. Okay, before we move on, we want to take a second to tell you about the Fantasy 411 podcast. It's never too early to start prepping for your 2018 fantasy draft, and listening to the 411 with Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach can give you an edge no matter what format you play. They'll break down the latest hot stove news all off season, including how to value old faces in new places like Wade Davis, Jolice Chassin, and new D-backs reliever Hoshihisa Hirano. Draft time will be here before you know it, so subscribe to Fantasy 411 Podcast on Apple Podcasts today. All right, let's get on to the Rookie Career Development Program. You guys were down in the, I guess, the Virginia side of Washington, D.C. A lot of great players were down there this year. Uh, A good program, I believe, was had, good time was had by all, and, and these players learned a lot, and you caught up with a lot of them. We want to hear from some of them and kind of go down the list and, and hear your thoughts from each of the guys. So, Jonathan, I'll start with one of the guys you were able to catch up with, and that was, uh, and make sure I'm pronouncing this right, because it's just one name that always kills me, Rowdy Telez. Yep. Is that right? Yay. All right. Yep. I don't know why that's even a hard name, because it's not, but for some reason it sticks in my head. Anyway, the Blue Jays' number 12 uh, prospect right now before the new list come out. He's a burly first baseman. He talked a little bit about battling through 2017 and, and really how the team was able to stick with him, his appreciation for that. So let's hear from Telez. I wouldn't say anything really went wrong. There was a, I had a little adversity with my family and, and health issues, and uh, I really didn't know how to handle those. And uh, it, uh, I'd say it affected the way I played, the way I not handled the way I was on the field, but I kind of let it get to me subconsciously, I think. But um, I tried to go to the field every day, same guy, day in and day out, smile on my face, uh, respected the game, respected my staff. Um, you know, they were also there for me to help me through my tough situation, but uh, I couldn't be more grateful again for the Blue Jays and what they meant to me and what they helped me with, um, just talking to me and making sure everything was okay. And 
um, offering any help that I needed if, if it arised. It's hard to compartmentalize about, you know, your family. And people do sometimes, you know, even we as players forget that, you know, we have our own lives that are so caught up in how we're doing that day or how our team's doing. But, um, you know, when family events like that happen, it is hard sometimes to go back and forth and really understand, you know, we live our own lives too and we have a job to handle and but we also have a family to take care of and support, you know, um, family's everything to me. I was raised to be really close with my family um, and so when the event happened, it was, a, it was really hard to handle and I kind of, I think I took it harder than anybody being that I don't live with my family. I live, you know, across the country in Florida now and um, but it was just a, it was a difficult transition and it was hard to understand and I was really thankful the Blue Jays were able to keep people in my corner to help me throughout the year with learning how to handle that and how to deal with adversity, not just on the field and struggles, but the adversity of, you know, everything happens for a reason and family struggles are a part of life. And how do you handle those while you're going through a, a season that, you know, is in AAA is you're, you're a phone call away from the top. So, um, again, the Blue Jays helped me a lot through all this. Jonathan, that was not the entire interview, but a little of it. What else did you take from talking to Rowdy? He best talker uh, at the program uh, just uh, the ease of the conversation like sometimes even the guys who are good you know, you're so aware of, of doing an interview and I felt like we were having a, a conversation uh, and he was very uh, you know open about the tr- you know struggles that he had and, uh, and then talking to him off camera his mother had been had been very ill, and that was really what distracted him. And he never wanted to make it, uh, an excuse, um, you, you know. Uh, I think that he just is a really thoughtful guy, kind of like a gentle giant uh, in, in some regards. And he gave great answers to our cut four questions. Um, we asked him a celebrity lookalike and, and crazy thing that happened to him, and he gave really good answers for that. And, and then the last little tidbit, which uh, had I realized that, uh, I would have asked him about uh, on camera, but uh, he could have played for four different World Baseball Classic teams. Um, he could have played for the United States, which obviously is not going to happen given the makeup of that team. Uh, he could have played for Mexico, which I think maybe he did. Uh, I'd have to go check. He could have played for Israel because his mother is Jewish. And he could have played for Spain because I think one of his grandparents was from Spain. So I don't know if there are too many other guys who could have played for four different WBC teams. Yeah, good stuff. And it'll be interesting to keep an eye on him with his mind cleared in 2018, uh, what he can do. Jim, you talked to Derek Fisher. What a season he had. We talked about in the RCDP. Uh, some of these guys have made their way to the big leagues. And Derek Fisher didn't just do that, but he scored the winning run in one of the greatest World Series games ever played. Not bad for the Houston Astros. Let's hear what Derek Fisher had to say. You know, I think it's big for for all of us because you can never hear enough of what we're hearing. And there's a reason why um, we're hearing so much of it is because it continues to happen. And there's some of them are good and some are bad. Um, but you continue to hear about it for a reason. So... When you continue to hear about things like that, you, you start to take a little bit more of an initiative to like the people around you and, and the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis because they really do affect you. This whole year um, has been pretty tremendous. I mean, with the, with the team that we were able to put together um, and being 
um, you know, pretty familiar with that team in spring training. Um, I spent the whole the whole time in spring training with them and being able to just pick their brains, just understand the people that they were. Um, and then obviously from the outside looking in, as the whole country saw, I mean, before I was even there, just watching games every day just to be able to see, like, this team has a lot of fun. And I just wanted to be a part of it and, and be able to just contribute to a team that questionably is, is one of the best ever. And, um, and, I, and I think for, for somebody like me or anyone that could have been in that position, it's, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun just to be with that group and do what we did because it was something that obviously we'd been pushing for for so long. Preparation's key, and that's something that I can honestly say that wasn't really a big part of my game even up to you know uh, two years ago. So to be able to see, uh, there, there's a reason why, um, and I forget who said about it earlier in the program today, there's a reason why the best, the best people are just different. And, and I saw that this year with, with some of the, I mean, arguably the best pitcher of our generation and Justin Verlander and, the, and, and, and how he prepares on a day-to-day -day basis and how much that correlates to what has been said here tonight um, is honestly preparation. And it's, and it's impressive and, it, and it's, uh, it shows you how long and how why these people can play the game for so long. So obviously good stuff there, Jim, from Derek Fisher, who's been rumored to be in trade rumors as well this offseason, another thing he's had to deal with. But what stood out the most to you? Um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Like I, I think I told him during the interview, uh, you know, he's got to be the first guy at the rookie program who ever scored the winning run in a World Series game, you know, before he attended the rookie program. And, uh, yeah, what's fun is, is, like Jonathan was saying, you know, some of the stuff you get that's not even on camera – it's not just you know the questions we ask these guys while we're while we're rolling the tape, but you know sometimes like when we're trying to wait to interview three or four guys, you want to talk to the guy for ten or fifteen minutes. And I had a good time reminiscing with him about the the 2014 and 15 College World Series. He was part of the Virginia team in 14 that lost in the finals to Vanderbilt. Then he signed with the Astros, but watched from afar as they they won the championship in 2015. And even though he wasn't an on-field participant. He did take a lot of pride in that. A lot of these champ these college programs that win championships, it's kind of a stepping stone. You don't just win the College World Series the first time you're out there, and you don't just win the Super Regionals the first time you get there. So even though he wasn't on the field when they won in 15, he did take a lot of pride in helping build the Virginia program up. And as you guys know, I can talk College World Series for a lot more than 10 or 15 minutes at a time. And I wound up talking to – at least two Florida Gators in, in A.J. Puck, and I'm forgetting who my other Florida Gator was I spoke to, about them winning the championship this year after they were gone. So it's, uh, I talked a lot of College World Series with guys when we weren't necessarily rolling the cameras. A lot of the guys you guys talked to um, had struggles that they had to cope with in 2017. We mentioned Telez and Jonathan, you also talked to Justice Sheffield, who had to battle through an injury in 2017. Uh, currently ranked number four in that Yankee system, that loaded Yankee system uh, in the old rankings. He also was in the AFL. He talked a little bit about that. Let's hear from Justice Sheffield. Very pleased with my season. Um, you know, saw a lot of positives. Uh, Seems like the Yankees saw a lot of positives this this year out of me. Also, um, definitely had a great time going out to the fall league. That was big for me, just to get back out there and you know get get my innings back in um, or back under me and um, you know face those higher type guys and uh, actually get out there and compete because love to compete. So um, overall, I thought I had a great year, um, other than the injury, um, which 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 you know that that wasn't good, but. Um, 
you know, overcame that. So looking forward to this this year. It's weird because I think the injury happened for a reason. I think it was a learning experience, learning curve, um, since I've never been injured in my career. Um, so it was definitely new to me um, to get over not being able to be out there on the field and, um, you know, uh, overcome it and um, get back out there with my teammates. I think I was just kind of hungry to get back on the field. Um, you know, missing those two months, um, which I thought I was going to be able to come back uh, before um, playoffs even started. I thought I was going to, you know, get a few any, uh, outings in before playoffs, but ended up not working out that way. So um, I think going to the fall league, just being hungry and um, getting to go out on the on the field and compete again against, like I said, those those top guys. Um, you know, they, it, it's time to play ball. The way I look at it is just I just got to go out there and do my thing. Um, let the front office and things like that handle um, where they're going to put me or where I'll end up and things like that. But only thing I can do is just go out there and, um, you know, do what I do best and that's uh, get outs and, um, you know, help my team, uh, give my chance, give my team a chance to win. Sheffield's one of those guys, Jonathan, that's always been a good interview, right? Yeah, he's, he, he, he always has been. Uh, we talked to him in the fall league and he, he was great every time we needed to talk to him. He's a very confident young man. I think it, it can come across as cocky. Uh, to some, uh, but I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, I think that helps good players sometimes be great players. You know, to have that little bit of an edge, and he does. I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he wants to prove to people, uh, you know, that he that he can get it done. And if he pitches like he did in the fall league, I, he's going to have no problem. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, he was uh, he was very good uh, throughout uh, throughout. The, the rookie career program actually I heard good things about him interacting during the the, the different um, sessions that they had, and, uh, he, and he was great in this uh, interview as well. Uh, he's just a well-spoken guy. I think it'll play well in New York once he gets there. It seems to happen more often than you would expect that one of the players that ends up at the rookie career development program goes as a representative of one team, and by the time he leaves on Sunday, he's representing a different team. And that happened again here in 2018 as Trevor Oaks was traded to the Royals. After the trade, uh, Jim, you were able to catch up with Trevor Oaks. Let's hear from Trevor. I'm working on my changeup and my off-speed. Um, last year, I kind of had some troubles with my sinker and you know that's been my bread and butter for my career, and uh, so far this this off season it's been really good, and I've made some good adjustments and really kind of figured it out again. So I'm excited to show up to spring training with a fresh start and a, a new organization and show them, you know, what I'm all about and work quick and compete. You know that's what I that's what I try to do. I'm just looking forward to competing and and. You know, seeing what that opportunity is in spring training. So it's interesting because those guys get uh, color-coded uh, pullovers depending on what team they're on at the Rookie Career Development Program. Did Oaks have to trade his in, Jim, and get a new color? He did. It was. We actually talked about that off-camera, and we likened it to in the fall, Arizona Fall League where you literally cannot play if you're traded until you get the uniform for your new team. Um, I think it was Daniel Polk a couple of years ago had to wait a day or two for a uniform, but um, but no, we did talk about that, and, and, and it was it was quite striking because he was talking to Will Smith, who had been his teammate as late as Thursday night, and then suddenly a different organization. He had to trade. If I've got my my pullovers correct, a kind of a bluish pullover for a greenish pullover, but. You know, and, and you know, again, I can't always remember exactly what was said during the interview compared to off camera, but uh, he was—it he, he, was kind of a shock to him, obviously. And then we explained it does seem to happen 
more. I mean, we, we need to make a list. We talked about this, and we never put the list together. But it seems like it happens every couple of years, if not more than that, that one of these guys gets traded because the rookie program is always right after the break for Christmas and, and New Year's. And I think that's about the only week where baseball is relatively quiet and everybody gets back to work. And, you know, I'm surprised Jerry DePoto didn't make like six trades like that first week to make up for for the time he took off. But um, but anyway, uh, you know, it, it was a shock to him. But he, he tried to look at it as positive that, one, I mean, obviously if you get traded, somebody else wants you. You know, they ask for you in the trade. And, two, you know, while you know, the Dodgers are the only organization he's ever known, it's not any secret if you look at the rosters that he's going to have a lot easier time trying to crack the Royals rotation than he would the Dodgers rotation. I mean, the Royals are, are rebuilding. Their pitching's not nearly as strong as the Dodgers, who, who were one win away from winning the World Series and, and have you know, a really deep collection of pitchers. You know, Oaks has spent the last two years, the majority of it, in AAA. He's one of the better. He's got one of the better ground-out, air-out ratios. In the minors, he relies a lot on his heavy sinker, um, and he's going to get a better opportunity. So while it was a shock, and I think it's sad. I mean, he was like I said, he spent a lot of time when I saw him hanging out with Will Smith, who he was teammates with in the Dodgers system this year, uh, you know, and you know, last year as well. Uh, you know, he, he's you know moving on uh, from Dodgers to Kansas City, and you know, it, it's probably good for his career. Yeah, interesting to way to meet some of your new teammates is, uh, hey, I'm on your team now. Uh, uh, can we do breakfast here at the RCDP? Uh, interesting. Biggest name guy I can think of in, in relatively recent years was Chris Archer, I think, Jonathan. That right, Chris yep. Archer was traded. Was it from Cleveland to Tampa Bay at the RCDP? It would have been sh- Chicago to Tampa Bay. Chicago to Tampa Bay, okay. Is that right, Jim? Yeah, he, 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 would, he, was, he was originally... <laughs> Drafted by the Indians, but got traded for Mark DeRosa, uh, who's hmm. the, only the, the second greatest uh, Penn grad uh, that we've mentioned during this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> and then got traded. We didn't talk from, about Doug Glanville. Well, that's right. There we go. Uh-uh. And then we, uh, we, um, he got traded. I can't remember who he got traded for. Was it Garza? It must have been Garza, right? Yeah. I think it was Matt Garza. Yeah, trade. I think so. So that, yeah, he definitely was the biggest prospect. And then I remember when <clears throat> Ross Ohlendorf was traded uh, to the to the Yankees for Randy Johnson, and uh, I don't know if you've ever talked to Ross Ollendorf. He's a really smart guy, uh, Princeton Princeton guy, but a little bit quiet, uh, a little bit reserved. And uh, it was it afforded him the opportunity to actually practice doing interviews, talking about being traded for Randy Johnson. Uh, and you know when he was going into a to a, a large market where people were going to want to talk to him, so uh, in some ways it was he was in a really good place uh, for something like that to happen. And I want to say a couple of years ago, in 2015, which I think was the last one before this year that we both attended, Daniel Robertson got traded. There was a like six player trade or five player trade. I'm looking here. It was they East traded Daniel Robertson, John Jason, and Boog Powell in cash for Ben Zobrist and Yunel Escobar of the Rays. I remember having to track down Daniel Robertson. Like I say, we need to we need to figure out a, like a master list of these. But it does seem to happen more often than not. And, and like I said, I think it's always kind of a shock because you literally leave home and fly to Virginia to be part of the rookie program as a member of one organization, and then all of a sudden you're, you're in a different organization. Yeah, it's a little trip down RCDP memory lane. Good stuff, guys. Um, again, I want to mention the timeline for the top ten 
uh, positional prospect list coming out. They start Tuesday, and it'll be pretty much every day, every weekday from there, starting with right-handed pitchers to lefties, catchers, first base, second base, third base, shortstops, and outfielders. And then the top 100 list will be unveiled on January 27th. That'll do it for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.